0: Loving Father in heaven, we thank you for this occasion to learn and to be inspired and to be transformed by your Holy Spirit to be more Christ-like because that's the most important thing in life. When everything is said and done, the question is, are we like Jesus? When he will look into our hearts asking the question, do I know you? May he look into our hearts and find himself revealed in us and recognize himself in us. May this be our experience as a result of these meetings we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I see all scattered all across this place, and they said for the camera, it's better to have me stand up here. I said, i like to be down here with the people. They said, no, it's not a matter of being humble and close to people. Nobody will be able to see you. And I said, thank you for the compliment, which implies I'm not tall. If you stand here in the front, nobody will be able to see you. And whoever told me that, please repent of that. Because, I mean, that's rubbing it in. Dr. Saman, you're short. Let me tell you, when Jesus comes, all of us will be tall. (laughs) Not only tall, we'll be perfect. That's a great, happy reunion when we experience the blessed hope. So we can meet all our loved ones resting in Jesus. Won't that be wonderful, happy reunion? Let's never miss out on that, okay? By being ready today, as William Miller said, today and today and today until he comes. So if you want to get an A in this class, please, I beg of you, move forward right here where I am. Because over there, I don't know, I don't see you. If you want to get an A, please move forward. Let's see what people are going to do now. I wonder if the A is is a good incentive. My wife is moving here to the front. Look at that. There are people actually who care about their grades. (laughs) Please do me a favor. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. Yes. You know, I know it's a little bit hardship for you, but it helps me to know I'm not speaking in space. I'm speaking to people, I can see their faces. That helps me. Thank you so much. For the others who resisted this appeal, we'll just have to settle for an A-, minus. okay? I mean, that's not a bad grade, is it? It's not the best, though. Thank you so much. So here for this seminar, the ISIS, Christ, and last day events, we were reminded of that wasn't that yesterday when you had that shooter by the name, Umar Mateen? I can't believe it's the worst attack uh, by a weapon like this in the history of the United States. 50 dead as of yesterday, this morning I guess it's 49, so thankfully one survived. And 53 wounded going through surgeries and we pray for them and their families, that they will survive. We live in very troubled times. And the, and I, asked, I was asked to speak about the subject because I happened to be born in Syria, not too far from the headquarters of ISIS, and the city name is what is Raqqa, R-A-Q-Q-A. I mean, none of us choose where to be born, right? But someday, we'll all belong to heaven, the best country in the world. Everything in this world will be consumed with fire. Think about it. Your homes, your riches, accomplishments. Even some loved ones will be ready to rest. The only thing that will remain is our relationship with Jesus. That's all. If Christ were to come tomorrow morning, nothing will be important except our relationship with Jesus. We should think about that quite often. It will help us see the right perspective of our life. So I left home when I was a teenager, and because of the persecution and intolerance, I was never allowed to see my parents. The parents were never allowed to see me, and wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral when they passed away. But I'm glad they are resting in Jesus. And none of the violence, civil war, killing in that part of the world affects them. Nobody can touch them anymore. That's good news for me because half of the population of my old country is decimated. Two and a half million killed. 58% population displaced or refugees around the world. We're living in unprecedented times and uh, and ISIS members are infiltrating these poor refugees because they have their own agenda they love to have all these refugees by the millions of Muslims infiltrate Western Europe United States because they want to impact the world for radical Islam I'll tell you more about it this week so therefore I thank you for coming to my seminar You got yourself a subject, a course. You got a professor here. And we need to share with you a textbook that you can just borrow because I do a lot of original translation because I know Arabic, I know the Quran, directly from the Arabic Quran to English. I want you to see some of these things in the textbook. I spent five years researching the subject about radical Islam and impact of Islam Upon the world, 1.7 billion people, more than a fifth of the world population, the fastest growing religion in the United States and the world. It's something we confront with every day in the news media, several times every day, on all news channels. And so I don't think we have enough, but maybe one per family, please. I want you to look at something with me, to see it with your eyes. And so I would ask one of the ushers and maybe Cheryl and my wife to help look at that box. I brought only one box with the book entitled The Other, Abraham's Other Son, related to Ishmael. Okay, we often focus on Isaac and Israel. (laughs) In the sun, we're going to focus on Ishmael and learn a lot about that subject. So I would say we can spare only to have one per family, please. One per family. Now you're going to borrow those, don't underline them. The ABC is working with me because they made the arrangement that you can use the books here so you could learn from them more. If you do not want the book, you bring it here. We don't have enough of them. The ABC asking for them. But if you want to keep the book, then you can come to the front, and my wife is there, and you can pay for it. We use the royalties to help our student missionaries. We have 175 of them that go around the world, and we have about 27 evangelistic teams that are evangelizing now in different parts of the world. And so far from Southern Adventist University, because of the work for our student missionaries and our evangelistic teams, my wife was a part of that five times to Central America. We have 27,000 people baptized. Southern Adventist is a very evangelistic university. And so we use the resource to help students who are eager to do evangelism, win souls, to be able to do so. I think that's all we have, right? I'm sorry, wish I've had. we didn't think we'd have so many people. And so, uh, Sherilyn, we, we ran out of the books, right? Mrs. Saman? We out other books, right? Okay. Well, the ABC have some more also. Now, let me start by saying that most of the Muslims in the world cooperate with the United States and with the papacy, by the way. I'll talk about the papacy, Islam, to fight ISIS. Most of the 1.7 billion Muslims are peace-loving, but you have what you call a death cult. You know what a death cult is? People who blow up themselves. People who detonate a bomb and blow up themselves while smiling, and they say while they're doing that, we love to die more than you love to live. How can you fight people like that? And here you have this man by name Omar, yesterday, born in New York, educated in the United States, having all the privilege and all the blessings anybody can wish, plus uh, a certified security officer. And something clicked in his head. Unbelievable. If you heard the sound of the attack, they shooting, it was just rapid fire. Can you imagine one man in a few moments hurting and killing more than 100 people? It took 13 well-armed policemen, SWAT team, 13 of them, to subdue this man. It's only by the grace of God that we don't see more of these these attacks. God has given America a precious window opportunity for people to be prepared for Christ's coming and what's coming upon this world. There is no reason we don't have more attacks, big ones. But God is watching over America because America figures big in biblical prophecy. And God is still using America to finish his work in this world. So he is providing us with a rare precious window opportunity so we can be ready prepare other people to meet jesus that's the only important things in this world by the way and let me tell you something this world is having so many monumental problems that only the coming of jesus will solve them don't you agree with me obama is not going to solve them i don't care how hard he tries Hillary Clinton will never be able to solve them. Even the Donald will not be able to solve them. I mean Donald Trump. (laughs) Only Jesus will be able to solve them. This Umar Mateen that brutally murdered innocent people in Orlando. You know, we live in a free country, right? We give people, they benefit doubt. Even though we have good indications they're going to commit acts of violence, we can't can't arrest them. This man was investigated in 2013, 2014, 2015. They had many doubts about him. He gave allegiance to Mr. Baghdadi, the head of ISIS in Baghdad. And somehow we as Americans are so trusting, we didn't touch him because we didn't want to violate his rights. Well, I would say to you, as a U.S. citizen, the rights of more than 100 people killed or wounded, their rights were violated by dying. See how careful we are as Americans to protect people's freedom. We had indication he was a troublemaker. He made statements to his colleagues that showed he, he was potentially very violent. But we couldn't do anything. see, in America, what we do is we do a lot of investigation, a lot of research, a lot of heart searching after the act is done. But somehow we seem to be impotent before things happen. Like I heard the news yesterday, a husband who abused his wife and beat her up, threatened to kill her, was put in prison. And after three, four years, he said, if I'm released, I'll kill her. And I mean business. And she called the police, said, but we have no evidence he would do that. But sir, I'm scared to death. I'm going to die. Please, please save me. American citizens crying out to be saved. Ma'am, we can't do anything. He got out of prison. The first thing he did, he got a gun, broke into the house, and killed her. And then we mourn her loss. Her loss needlessly. So I'm just telling you, things are changing, and somehow we need to address things maybe differently. I mourn the loss of so many people, innocent people. Now people ask me the question, how do these attacks take place, which we hear about all the time in Europe and here, other places in the world? It's because ISIS uses this dual strategy, either inspired attacks or directed. This one was inspired. Be free, act on your own, grow your own cells, take leadership in the attacks or directed from ISIS itself. This was what's inspired. And then people ask, what's the difference between ISIS and ISIL? I-S-I-S, I-S-I-L. What's the difference? Well, you know if you watch the news That Christians like you and me, ancient Christians from the time of the Apostle Paul who took the gospel to that part of the world, living in Syria, living in Iraq. By the way, they are Christians like you and me. Most people think there are no Christians in the Middle East. But there are. How do we know that historically? Because that part of the world was a part of the Holy Lands, and it was a part of the Christian Byzantine Empire before any Muslims came on the scene in the year 600. So what happened? Well, there are people who refused to be converted to Islam more than 1,400 years ago, and their ancestors... Their descendants remain to be Christians till this day. That's why when I was teaching at Andrews University we had a, a, a Muslim scholar from a Sunni Muslim scholar from Jordan who was giving a lecture at our university. My family I invited him to our house. We prepared Middle Eastern food. He liked that. Falafel and Tabuli and baklava my family played Middle Eastern music on the piano and violin and he had tears in his eyes He became emotional We're ready to eat the meal and I was wondering If I should pray in the name of Jesus and he like he could read my mind said dr. Saman Please go ahead and pray in the name of Jesus Why would you say that I asked? he said because Originally, all of us used to be Christians. The only difference between you and me is because Dr. Saman, your ancestors never succumbed to the Islamic conversion, but my parents did. Yet, originally, all of us were Christians who believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So please go ahead and pray in the name of Jesus. And so, if you go to Syria and Iraq, and please don't go, don't take your vacation there. <laughs> take it somewhere else like Hawaii, Alaska, anywhere, but not there. You'll find on the doorposts and doors of Christians, like you and me, the stamp. In red color, the letter N. It looks like a semicircle, like this, a dot in the middle. And that's the letter N in Arabic. Uh, guess what it stands for? What about the letter N that identifies you as a Christian? It's not the star of David during World War II. It's now the N letter. What does the letter N tell you about being a Christian? What was Jesus called? One of his titles, Nazarene. Christians are known as the Nazarenes. You are Nazarene. You follow the Nazarene. The N identifies your household as belonging to Jesus the Nazarene, marked. Under that letter N, you have the let, you have the words in Arabic, the دولة الإسلامية في العراق والشام, which means literally Islamic State for Iraq. And Syria, ISIS. Now, why did it change to ISIL? Because they were so successful at the work of terrorism that they expanded their ambitions. ISIL, the L at the end, it stands for the Levant, L E V N T, which is more than Syria, it's the whole Middle East. Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Palestine. All of these countries put together. Um, now then, we didn't take them seriously at the very beginning, some years ago. We thought they were just a bunch of flunkies, never amount to anything. When you deal with radical Islam, nothing is flunky, by the way. We better be careful. And they began to to, uh, grow their forces close to where I was born, in Raqqa. 1,000, 2,000, on top of ISIS. What's the difference between ISIS and Al-Qaeda? Well, to some Al-Qaeda members, Al-Qaeda wasn't brutal enough. It wasn't murderous enough. And they said the only way radical Islam would succeed if we were totally brutal to shock the world. Their strategy is to be brutally shocking to everybody. And so they split from Al-Qaeda to develop an organization. They said, we cannot win the world for Islam hiding in a cave in Afghanistan like Osama bin Laden did, carrying a machine gun. They said, we got to do better than that. We got to control countries and territories. And we got to steal the most sophisticated American weaponry. Steal it. And we have a way to do it. So therefore, they trained 33,000 killers. And the philosophy was brutality. The ends justify the means. Do anything. Burn, murder, kill. It doesn't matter as long as you want to accomplish your goal. After they became 33,000 trained in the in the vicious practice of total brutality and murder they attacked the iraqi army 750,000 trained for years by american forces and we gave them the most sophisticated weaponry tanks and everything else and because of brutality the iraqi army ran fled after thousands all were killed left all their weapons behind. So now ISIS took most of Iraq and most of Syria, they're into Libya, they're into Egypt, they're into Jordan, they're into Lebanon, they're into different parts of the world. And now in their parades, they control the oil fields, in their parades, they parade our big tanks, our Humvees. They're a state within a state. They took over big parts of these countries. And continue to expand they have their cells around the world and at the moment I'm speaking American special forces along with Iraqi army are trying to take over Fallujah in Iraq the one that many of our were killed ice occupied it and now they're trying to get out of there and it's so difficult to dislodge them I feel sorry for the innocent civilians caught between forces They're trying to flee ISIS. But ISIS considers them traitors as they flee, and they shoot them as they flee. And while you and I are sitting here so peacefully, are you thankful to God for the freedom we have? We don't have to see our children die. We don't have to see... We are sitting here peacefully with enjoying freedom. Don't ever forget to... Always and every day, thank God for the freedom you have. I know what I'm talking about because I lived under dictatorship. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Just remember, the lamb-like beast will speak like a dragon, and when Jesus comes, the stone will hit the kingdoms of this world. And some say, except America. Don't you think America will survive when Jesus comes here? <laughs> no. Everything will be destroyed, my friends. Don't be stuck on anything in this world, be stuck on Jesus. We remain with what we got stuck into. You cleave to the rock, Jesus, you stay with the rock, Jesus. You cleave to the things that are temporary in this world, and you stay with the temporary thing. Let's not stay. And let's not build all our hopes on this world because it's a better world to come. Now then one goal of ISIS is to recreate what they call the Islamic caliphate, the empire. That's why the leader in Baghdad, Mr. Baghdadi, he is called the first caliph. No caliph is a leader of the Islamic empire after the death of Muhammad, their prophet. That's what they call it, caliphate. And the philosophy behind that is everybody in the world, not just the Middle East, not just Western Europe, not just the United States, every person in the whole wide world, billions of them, are all supposed to be Muslims. So they view you as a Muslim. They view me as a Muslim. Why? Based on this philosophy. Everybody born in this world is given by God the desire to be submissive to a higher power. Because the word Islam means submission. I don't know if you heard about this before. That's, that's the way it is. Everybody is Muslim. We just have to tell them they are. They don't know. Because they ask people, do you have a desire to submit to God or a higher power? Yes. See, that means God put in you the whole desire to be submissive to God, to a higher power. And so if you want to submit to a higher power, then you're a Muslim because the word Islam means submission to God. Now, if you don't surrender to God, submit yourself to God by, by talking to you, then they do it by force that's why in Iraq and Syria they come the next day and they say have you decided to deny Jesus or die two choices deny or die deny Jesus or die for your faith and believe it or not it should inspire all of us to be very committed to Christ these ancient Christians are saying we'd rather die for the cause of Christ or deny our faith in Christ. These are Christian martyrs. I wonder what would happen to us. How would we react if we face the same experience here? Either deny your faith or die. Especially for Seventh-day Adventists. So many things are happening today all around us, even in the church. But our message is being watered down. We're told we are like any other denomination. We love everybody of every denomination. But I believe God did not need another denomination to add to the list. God needed a movement to take a special message to the world. We are part of that. So anybody who tells you, don't worry about these distinctive teachings. Get along with everybody. And I like to get along with everybody. But not sacrificing my principles. Not sacrificing the precious Adventist message my parents were imprisoned for and were persecuted for, were beaten for. God needs loyalists today. Do you like the word loyalty? Faithfulness. He is loyal and faithful to us. We need to respond to him by being loyal and faithful to him. And I tell you something. The environment is being prepared right now in a very subtle way that when the time of persecution comes, Adventists are kind of getting used to the idea not to fight for your beliefs. Just be at peace with everybody. Don't make an issue of the Sabbath, state of the dead, sanctuary message, three angels messages, health message. Don't make an issue of it. We're living in the last day. Let's just get along with everybody. Now is the time to dare to stand like Daniel. Now is the time to practice, to be brave, and to stand up for truth in love. Father, when I talk about truth, I never talk about truth without love. Jesus always spoke the truth in love while teasing his voice. But Satan hijacks this idea of Jesus and he says, go to extremes. Either speak the truth without love or supposedly love without speaking the truth. If you speak the truth without love, you become a legalist, a harsh person. If you think you love without speaking the truth, you are simply a nominalist. Your love is simply superficial and, and sentimental, and there is no substance to it. We are to live at peace with everybody like the Waldensees did. But when it comes to compromising our principle with the spirit of love and conviction and respect of people, we say, here I stand, I can do no other, because I'm basing my principles On Jesus and his word. When I travel from place to place and I sit next to somebody on the plane, they ask about me, what church do you belong to? Seventh-day Adventists. I used to say Adventist only. Now I say Seventh-day Adventist. You know why? Because I thought the word Seventh-day is cumbersome and like we are picky on a day. When I was a teenager... No, I love the whole name. All of it is there for a purpose. Seventh day tells us. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? What's our legacy? We come from the creative hands of Jesus. Jesus created us. That's why Alan White said, if people believe in the Sabbath and keep it as should be kept, there would be no atheists in the world. The Sabbath reminds us, We are made by Jesus. He fashioned us in his hands. What does the word seven day" also mean? Oh, when Jesus died on the cross, he finished his work of redemption. He said, it's finished. And the first thing he did, like he did in the Garden of Eden, he rested from his work of redemption. Where? In the grave. So the Sabbath reminds me of Jesus' completed work of redemption. And therefore, when I keep the Sabbath, it's not something legalistic. What is it? It's basking in Jesus' accomplished work in my behalf. I rest from trying to save my Sabbath on works and I trust in Jesus' work. That's why the Sabbath is the highest sign of righteousness by faith in Christ. And finally, Adventist is talking about Christ's Advent soon coming. So the same hands that were marred with wet clay in fashioning us were the same hands that were smeared with warm blood from the cross and redeeming us. The same hands, scars in his hands, beckoning us to come home. Come home, my children. I'm coming soon to take you home. Seventh day, Adventist. Ellen White said this name was inspired by God. To give a certain message and also this name takes care of the whole great controversy all of it past present and future especially when it comes to the problem of sin Jesus takes care of the penalty of sin. Whatever we've done in the past, he takes care of the penalty of sin. In the present, as he sanctifies us, he takes care of the power of sin so we can walk with Jesus and be sanctified and be Christ-like. And finally, at his coming, at his advent, he will take care of the presence of sin. Can you imagine when Jesus comes to take us home? There'll be no presence of sin anymore. Can you imagine a world without sin? Jesus will take care, not only of the penalty and the power in this world, but the presence of sin in the world to come. The day will come. This is the good news. No more death. Isn't that good news, by the way? Nobody has to worry about going to funerals. Nobody has to worry about having a heart attack or cancer or stroke. No more death. No more cancer. No more sin. No more Satan. No more evil angels. Totally a perfect world in Christ. That's the most awesome news I can share with you. And that's why. That's why. Jesus is the answer. For all the people of the world with every religion, persuasion, philosophy. Muslims need Jesus. There are many ISIS members, Al-Qaeda members being converted today. It's amazing how God is reaching out to these people because of this crisis and saying there's no hope in anything except in Jesus. You remember what John 3.16 says, For God so loved America that he gave his only son. For God so loved England or Mexico. Did he say that? What did he say? God loved Except the 1.7 billion? No, he loved all of the world. Seventh-day Adventists have unique advantage to reach the Muslim people, such as the Sabbath, the health message, the state of death, the investigative judgment, the sanctuary message. Twelve things no other denominations have, except us, to effectively reach the Muslims. And in the book, I talk about all of that. And there is this text, John 3.16, I just recite to you. For God so loved the world... And that's what Jesus said, said. Go ye into all the world. Not except all the world. Christ's message is for the whole world. Why? Because God created everybody. Nobody came from monkeys and apes. And amoebas. They all came from God. I'd rather come from God than from a monkey. Would you say amen to that? And so... Muslims have a problem with this text when it says begotten. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They don't believe God begets any children. They take that literally. But the word in the original Biblical Greek, it should have been translated this way, it's the Greek word "monogenes." For God so loved the world that he gave his mono, genaeus, son. And you know, all of you know, how many know biblical Greek? Raise your hand, please. What's your problem? How come you don't know? How come you haven't come to my classes to take that? But you know Greek right now, don't you? You know the meaning of this Greek word. Many Greek words sound like English words. So you know the meaning of this. Mono means what? How come you said you don't know Greek. Let me change my grade from a D to an A. Mono, one, geneas, kind, type, one-of-a-kind, unique only. And Muslims like that. For Christ to be presented to them as a unique, one-of-a-kind, rare, nobody like him. And they believe all of that because they believe Jesus never sinned. Muhammad himself said, if... I could see Jesus, a sinless one, I'd be the first one to go and confess my sins to him to be forgiven. They believe Jesus will be the judge of the world because he's the only one qualified. He never sinned. They believe he's the word of God. Like in John 1, 1 the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. So what I'm telling you in my work with Muslims peace-loving Muslims, they respond a lot to the gospel, especially to the Adventist message. In their Quran, it says, study as much as you want about the true religion. But you'll always have questions. Check with the people who believe in the book. Believe in the Bible. Let me go back to this word monogamous. Um, What are What are the two biggest problems our world is facing? What are the two biggest problems? Don't tell me old age. Don't tell me wrinkles. Don't tell me cancer. Go beyond that the the, the real ones behind the scene. The reason we fear cancer. The reason we feel depressed. What are the two biggest problems the world faces now? And only Jesus can solve that, by the way. That's why the Muslims need Jesus, they have no Savior. Everybody needs a savior. Every person is whole, regardless of religion, culture, philosophy, and because Jesus is uniquely qualified to solve the two biggest problems of the world. Do you know yourselves? Do I know? What are your two biggest problems? Don't be like Donald Trump and say I have no problems. They ask him if he ever repent and he says I never sinned. Did you ever confess your sin? I don't sin. Don't ever be perfect like that. Only Jesus is perfect. So what are the two biggest problems you're facing and I'm facing? Who said that? Who said sin? What's your name, sir? What's your name? I give you ten bonus points for the final exam we'll have at the end of our seminar. This is sin. Sin. You say, well, it's sickness. What? It's all from sin. Guilt from sin. Depression. Sin. All of that results from sin. One of the biggest two problems in life is sin. And no psychologist can take care of it. No, no, You could pay a psychiatrist billions of dollars. He'll never be able to liberate you from the crushing burden of guilt and sin. Nobody can. Except Jesus. Shouldn't you feel so special? and blessed to know the answer to your sin is found in Jesus. Now, let me ask you, what's the, I think you know the answer, sir, because I don't want to take a risk with anybody else. So, the first huge problem for humanity is sin. Consequently, what happens because of sin? I'm trying to make the answer easy. I put you on the spot. No, no, no. Consequently. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said fear, and you copy them. You shouldn't do that in my class, okay? You know the answer yourself, okay? So basically fear results from guilt and sin and all that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is what? Death. So the two biggest problems in life are sin. Consequent to that is death. Sin results in death. And Jesus is the only answer to death. Now Isn't that? You, you're uniquely blessed. Nobody can solve your problem of death except Jesus. Shouldn't we hold on to Jesus? Shouldn't we be stuck in Jesus? Should we ever part with Never part with Jesus. He's our only hope. He's our only life. He's our only righteousness. Now, how does Jesus solve these two big problems? It's a very simple but yet life-changing experiences. He says... I would like you to learn something about the great divine exchange. You know, we can say in our own culture, maybe bargain. How many like bargains in this audience? Be honest now. You like to buy things on discount. Raise your hand, please. Mrs. Saman, you're not raising your hand. Did you, <laughs> did you hear your husband? Pay attention to what your husband said. Do you like bargains? Do you? Well, raise your hand then, okay? If you didn't raise your hand, see me after the seminar for special counseling, okay? Because <laughs> we Americans like to bargain. Like this necktie here, made in Paris, 100% silk, originally $49. I don't need any more ties, I have too many of them. But I couldn't resist, as I was an expensive store, and they're selling five ties like this, different colors, designs, for $5. Only in America. So what did I do? I bought five of them. Why? <laughs> I don't know why. But I love to wear these ties on sale. I feel I saved a lot of money. I gave them to my needy students. You see? Still enjoy an expensive tie. I like bargains. Even about a necktie. I'll tell you about a greater bargain. Jeez, if you appreciate Buying something on sale, like I saw somebody yesterday afternoon. He said, oh, Dr. come and see my brand new car. One of our pastors here, he was so happy with this car. Why are you so happy? He said, first of all, it looks beautiful. It smells brand new. But I got a good deal on it. Oh, my, it was worth so much. And I bought it for $10,000 less. I love my car. I bought it so, so economically. You might appreciate a necktie on sale, a car on sale. But now look at Jesus. This is what he says. You're stuck with sin. And I have righteousness. Nobody is the Lord our righteous except Jesus. Muhammad is not. Buddha is not. So now, if you're willing to open your heart to me... This is what I'm willing to do, eager to do. I'm willing to trade, to exchange your sin with my perfect righteousness. Wouldn't you think that's a great exchange? Really? Yes. If you have deadly cancer, you're told by your doctor you're going to live one month. And you, you, you're thinking about your death, you're worried about your loved ones. And, uh, and somebody comes with the answer you cancer and he says you're free of cancer no I don't believe that oh x-ray test you're free of cancer you jump up and down for joy no more cancer free of cancer I'm going to live a few more years and here the divine oncologist Jesus who specialized in spiritual deadly cancer sin he said as simple as that please give me Your cancer. Sin, cancer of sin. Where? I put upon myself. I put upon my heart. I'm Jesus. I can take care of sin. And its place? I give you my perfect righteousness. That's why the apostle Paul said, He became sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Consequent to that, Jesus. Our sin killed Jesus on the cross. And so he took our death and he gave us his eternal life. He took sin and death and he gave us in exchange his righteousness and his life eternal. Isn't that a great divine exchange? And Please don't lose out on that. Be smart spiritually. And do that, because Christ is the winner, and Satan is only the loser. Why do I talk about this? Because that should be our good news for the whole world. Everybody in this world needs these two problems to be solved. Only Jesus can solve these problems. That's why many Muslims, even radical Muslims, are turning to Jesus, because they don't find these answers in Islam. You could have a great religion. You could have great ethical code in your religion. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't solve sin and death. If you don't solve them, we're in big trouble. Let me give you a little bit of history, okay? A little bit of history. Because that's the introductory presentation for the seminar. We'll have it all week. And that is, there was the Christian Empire, the Byzantine Empire, where I come from. My parents told me the gospel was brought to us by the Apostle Paul. Isn't that something? The Apostle Paul was our first missionary. The American missionaries asked to meet the most honest people in town where they came to my part of the world. And my parents were chosen among few to be the most honest. And they heard the Advent message and they were converted to this message. And so I just want to tell you something about history. And that is Islam and their Muhammad who said, enough with worshipping idols. Let's go back to the God of our father, Ishmael, and worship him. When he led his tribes to be unified and strong, they began to desire to take the whole world over for islam so with the zeal they invaded the christian empire byzantium took it over they moved to north africa took over north africa all the way to the uh, to the uh, gibraltar area the, the strait separating north africa from spain and uh, their general by name of tariq In North Africa, he built a navy. And now they're going beyond the confines of Africa and the Middle East. Want to invade Western Europe, Western Christianity. And he gave a speech. After they landed on the shores of Spain. The ocean, the sea is behind you. And the Christians are before you. Destroy all these ships. So there's no hope to escape. Escape back home, and fight for the cause of Islam. And they conquered Spain, Portugal, and went to France, all the way to Perpignan, only be stopped by the French General Charles Martel at the Battle of Tours. They stopped there, stayed there for seven to 800 years. A few hundred years later, now in the book I talk about these pair of pliers. Everything I'm telling you, it's, it's here. By the way, this book has 250 questions that puzzle Western minds about Islam. 250 questions, they're all answered like interviews. 250 questions answered by 250, answered are brief and concise and simple to understand. And here I talk about a pair of pliers. They're almost clamped against Christianity. First of all, from the West, through Spain and France. They're stopped because God wants to safeguard Christianity and maybe use the Islamic invasion to warn, to wake up Christians who were in lethargy, living in corruption and darkness and falsehood, false teachings. Through the Ottoman Empire from the east, they invaded Eastern Europe, Central Europe, all the way to the doors of Vienna through the Ottoman Empire and they are stopped at the doors of Vienna you see how the pair of pliers almost clam, but they are stopped at Vienna and stopped at Perpignan, France to safeguard Christianity and to give Western Christianity a chance to be revived and to be uh, corrected uh, as far as teachings were concerned Um, I say this because they failed to conquer Christianity, almost did, they failed to conquer it militarily. And now the Western world is very powerful militarily, and they know they cannot defeat the Western world. I'm talking about radical Muslims. I'm talking about ISIS only. So now they want to defeat us spiritually. That's what they think, because christianity thing is bankrupt in the west people are very materialistic hedonistic so they want to conquer western christianity and the world through their religion and by the way they're doing it the fastest growing religion in the world tomorrow i'll be telling you about their, their beliefs how enticing they are and their practices the fast-growing religion in the United States and the world. If you go to France, there are more mosques than churches. In England, many of the churches are empty because Christianity in England, United Kingdom, is really fading. It's just like a tradition. Many of the churches are empty. And so Muslim, rich Muslims come and say, ask the price for your church. Any millions of dollars, it's okay with us. And they make them into mosques tomorrow I'll tell you why there's this is fast growth and how we can respond to that even though they don't have the answers to the world's two biggest problems except in Jesus now I mentioned something about the papacy I mean uh Brethren, the Catholics make the best 70 Adventists. I'm talking about the ideology. And uh, Pope Francis I is poised to cooperate completely with 1.7 billion Muslims around the world to fight ISIS. This week I'll be telling you about the how does it relate to last the events? Where the Pope said we can all be united about, around our spirituality. We all have common spirituality. If we're Catholic, Protestants, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, atheists, we all can unite around our common spirituality because everybody got some spirituality. How did this whole thing start from the very beginning? What was the inception of this big family feud that we see on the news every day? Can you imagine more than any other news? This family feud among the children of Abraham is the longest-running family feud. Longest-running. And no matter how many people try, statesmen to solve it, it gets worse. Where did it start? It started in the household of Abraham. Can you imagine that? More than 4,000 years ago, still running. We see it on the news every day, every hour. I want you to look at the cover of the book, if you have the book. What picture do you see? The picture of Abraham and Hagar, the maidservant, being cast into the wilderness with with a jar of water and the other hand holding her son Ishmael. Bewildered, how could you do this to me? I've been a faithful servant. And in the very background, you have the picture of Sarah telling Abraham, get with the program. Cast her out. Till this day, the children of Ishmael have a chip on their shoulder. Look what they did to our mother, Hagar. It wasn't fair, it was not fair. That's what they think. But yet, God could not have Ishmael as a promised son. Why? Because it had to be a miracle son, not from Hagar, though she was a good woman. It had to be a miracle son from Abraham and Sarah. And that's why God waited so long till beautiful young Sarah became ancient. When God told Abraham, it will be from your wife, he said, God, please. My wife is 85. Have you recently had to look at my wife? How could she have a baby? A miracle son will come from you. Why a miracle son, by the way? Because that's going to serve as a type of God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. Abraham was to serve as a type of God, our Heavenly Father, and Isaac as a type of Jesus, his only son. I want you to understand that. It had to be a miracle child. And by the way, Isaac was born as a miracle child. And Jesus was also a miracle son, wasn't he? Born by the Holy Spirit. Virgin birth. And look at this. God did not want Isaac to be sacrificed on the altar, but he was showing an illustration what was going to happen in the future. Abraham represented God the father was asked to sacrifice his son to test his faith to illustrate to the world how someday God the father was going to sacrifice his own son Jesus and when Abraham proved to be faithful no no provide a ram to take the place of Isaac but then When God the Father put the punishment of the whole world upon the head of his son Jesus on the cross, there was nobody coming to say there is a ram because he was the lamb of God. That's why in the Quran, the book of the Muslims, it says we shall redeem him with an awesome, tremendous victim referring to that sacrificial ram. That's amazing because the Arabic word for sacrifice is always a normal word. They use the exceptional word in Arabic. The awesome, tremendous victim referring to that, substitutionary sacrifice. Of course, to them, they believe it was Ishmael. We believe it was, it was Isaac. And the other one is this. I'm running out of time, so I don't have to let you open the book to write pages to read, but bring it with you. We will have time this week to go through all the references. I'm just going to finish this because I don't have much time. Let me just tell you what the book says in these questions and answers. N- number one, we always have a tendency to blame women for things that go wrong. I don't know why. Even America, you know, if I lose my keys, I ask my, what happened to my keys? What did you do with my keys? I don't know why. It's our tendency. And my wife smiles at me and she said, they're in your hand. <laughs> and I really get embarrassed about that, you know. And the same thing with Adam, blaming Eve. And the same thing with us. We blame Sarah for causing this biggest family feud. We blame her for that. By the way, we don't blame Abraham. Because Abraham and Sarah, being impatient with God's promises, what did they do? They followed the code of Hammurabi coming from Uruf Chaldeans, present-day Iraq. What did the code say? If you don't have a son... To inherit your name and legacy? There are two ways to get around it. First of all, adopt your best male servant, or get a son from a maid servant. And Abraham tried the first solution. He asked God, first of all, if Eleazar, his best male, could be. Could be his adoption. And God said it will be a miracle from you and Sarah. Later on he asked him if Ishmael could be the one. He said no I told you many times. It will be from you and Sarah. And Abraham it says he laughed. Did you ever know that Abraham laughed at God's promise. Couldn't believe it. He laughed. But we think only of Sarah laughing. But both laughed. And when his plan about Eleazar or Ishmael to be the promised son failed, then Hagar, I mean, then Sarah tried the second solution, Hammurabi, the law of giver of her old country, or of Chaldea's, and that she asked Abraham to have a son with Hagar. Now, at least I can share something that could be a little bit humorous. On page, if you look at page 33, I just I read American literature, and so we read a book by Mark Twain, and he describes what a family feud is like. Top of page 33. It says on top page 33 Mark Twain, in his book, The, Huck, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, about two characters by the name of Huck and Buck, and this is how it goes. A feud is this way. A man has a quarrel with another man and kills him. Then that other man's brother kills him. Then the other brothers on both sides goes for one another. Then the cousins chip in and by and by. Everybody is killed off and there ain't no more feud. Why? Because everybody is killed off. (laughs) But it's kind of slow and takes a long time. It's kind of slow and takes a long time. Let me, it's really helpful to me that it's not like preaching one sermon on Sabbath. That's my only chance. I'll have several chances this week to address the subject. So I'm going to wait for the information for tomorrow. But let me conclude with this. Let me conclude with this. On page 260, and 262, I want to share with this experience among the many, many Muslims who be converted, including violent, radical Muslims. Because they find the only answer to sin and death is in Jesus. Not in Muhammad, in any other prophet, only in Jesus. So there's an imam, that's a religious leader in Islam, imam. He was taking Bible studies about our distinctive message and accepting everyone of our precious, distinctive teachings. But he had a hard time accepting Jesus as a Savior and Lord. except as the greatest prophet, the sinless one, the perfect one, but not as the Son of God. Not as a Savior. See, Islam is a legalistic religion. They have no Savior. And God is very effective in giving Bible studies. But don't worry about God finishing his work. Don't worry about God using text messages and emails. God, in his brilliant mind... Genius might can communicate to every human being on planet Earth instantly. He can speak, impress their minds. And so this imam, we talk about dreams. God is using dreams today. Very effective way of communication. Somebody say, well, I don't believe in dreams. The Bible is full of dreams. they are bad dreams and good dreams, and God sends good dreams. Okay? And he saw a dream. As he was struggling with the issue, is Jesus my Lord, my Savior? Is he the Son of God? Is he divine? In his dream, he saw several tombs of religious founders. The first tomb he found was the tomb of his prophet Muhammad, intact, pretty, with flowers around it. He saw the tomb of Buddha, intact and disturbed. He saw the tomb of Confucius, intact and disturbed. He saw the tomb of Mahavira, and disturbed. The tomb of Zoroaster undisturbed. The tomb of Nanak undisturbed. Everything looked pretty and intact. Except there was one tomb. Rock was broken, dirt was thrown around. Different. He was curious as he approached this tomb. He saw the tomb was empty. And Granite engraved these words He is not here. Jesus Christ is not here for his risen. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He woke up from his dream, a believer in Jesus Christ, Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Thank God we serve a risen Savior. Never part with Jesus, never part with Jesus, and He'll never part with you. Now, we're going to have a word of prayer to conclude our seminar. We still have like four or five minutes. And after the prayer, then you can bring your books here to be used for our next session. My wife will be helping you here. My wife will be here at this table. So let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll give you some instructions after that. Loving Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the precious, unique gift you've given us in Jesus to solve the two biggest problems nobody else can solve. Sin and death. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us these two gifts. So now we open our hearts to you anew and say, Lord, step into our lives and take full control. May nothing separate us from you because we never want to be separated from this precious righteousness and from this awesome eternal life. Please come into our lives and take over everything and become supreme. And may you help us walk with you and be like you and may you always increase in our lives that we might decrease in Jesus name, Amen this media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org